Good morning, friends. How are we feeling? We good? That's good. It's good to be here with you. And I'm a bit excited today. We get to do uh, continue our, our series behind the music. And today's song in particular is a song that I've liked for a long, long time. It's a good song. It's a great song. In fact, it's the song that was written via text message. Yeah. Turns out uh, the... Uh, the authors of this song, so Phil Wickham and Brian Johnson, were texting each other a couple of ideas, and the song was written over a month and a half via text, which made me question one thing. I mean, you know how when you go to music hall of fames and museums, you have the, you know, the framed napkin where the lyrics have been written on the back, and that's framed in the corner? I'm just wondering if the, the future holds framed iPhones of various generations. Just iPhone, 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 because you can't write a Christian song on an Android. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully that's not the future. It's just going to be a flash drive. We promise the texts are on that. But no, the song was written by two guys who, who had a moment of inspiration and started texting each other these ideas around how do we write a song that brings amazing glory to God. And it was, it was coming up to Easter and they wanted to write a song that reflected what was happening in that time. And so these two guys, miles and miles and thousands of miles apart, wrote a song via text voice memoing a bit of a melody here and there. And they came up with this amazing anthem that has been sung in churches all over the world globally for about six years now. And it's a song that I love for a few reasons. One of the reasons is that it sort of bridges that gap between the traditional hymn and, and contemporary music. It has that very hymn-esque feel to it in the way it was written very intentionally. It's a very simple song, a very simple melody for a very simple musician. It's very easy to play. <laughs> but it's a song a church can get behind, a song that leaps off of pages of Scripture. So we're going we're gonna to have a chat about this song. But before we go any further, I have a question for you. And that question is, how do you define hope? What is the nature of hope? What's your definition? How do you define If someone was to come to you and ask you, what is the definition of hope? How do you respond? This question is not rhetorical. Please turn to the person next to you and answer that question. If you're at home, you can text in on the number that's not displayed on your screen. I'm going to step backwards so that I'm not in front of a microphone, uh, speaker. But no, turn to the person next to you. How do you define hope? Talk about it. You've got a minute. Come up with a definition. If it's a good one, Elaine will give you a Mars bar later. Five seconds. What about you, Claire? How do you define hope? <laughs> All right, that'll eat. <laughs> Works in kids' ministry way better, Jeff. <laughs> All right, come on, tell me, uh, how do you define hope? Someone yell at me. An expectation of something to come, yeah? Beautiful, I love it. Anything else? That things will get better. I love it. Anything else? Always have hope. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? 
Positive outlook. Oh, don't you love yelling? This is a great opportunity to yell at the preacher and you're just not taking it. Anything else? The truth of what's in scripture. Sure, absolutely. Faith in God. I love it. Cool. Anything else? Sorry? Ultimate joy found in hope. Nice. Any last ones before we move on? The person, did you want to preach my sermon? <laughs> the person of Jesus Christ. Cool. Hold that thought. We'll come back to it. See, hope is one of these words we, we band this word about. We use it a lot. It, it comes up in everyday vernacular. In fact, one of the things I love about it is I'm studying at the moment and I'm studying psychology and the word hope is not used in psychology. The reason why is because it's a very hard term to quantify. How do you quantify something that is an expectation of what is to happen? And so because we, 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 don't, we can't quantify, we can't diagnose, we can't extrapolate exactly what it is, we don't use it, except every paper I've ever read in psychology says, I hope that in the future we can research better. <laughs> so take it for what you will. But I think today there are very few words that, that desperately need a clear definition than hope. And not only do we need to understand hope, we need to also understand the hope of, of Christ and, and just as important to understand what hope is not. I think far too often hope is relegated to this, this level of, of wishful thinking, a, a positive approach. In fact, there's a, whole demogra- uh, there's a whole bracket of psychology called positive psychology based on this idea of, of the five founding functions of hope. But all of these things rely on things that are things that we can control only. Or they rely on events that we have no control over. Far too often we use hope in ways like this. I sure hope that the economy will turn around soon. He is hoping that Australia will win the World Cup. My doctor hopes that they're going to get all the cancer this time. These statements show the concerns of our hearts. They show the things that, that we value, that we treasure, that we, that, we, that we really cling to. And while this kind of hope isn't wrong, it's, it's not the hope that, that Scripture offers. It's not the hope that the Bible offers. Hope that is reduced to the level of wishes and dreams can be like soap bubbles that look beautiful to the eye but disappear at the slightest touch. Solomon says in Proverbs 13 that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Our song today is called Living Hope. It's a song written in this ad-lib moment of spontaneous worship, this idea was germinated as a sermon that was heard years and years ago when First Peter came to the forefront of his mind and sparked this concept of living hope and writing a song around scripture that speaks of living hope. You know, I've always been curious as to what motivates people, the why of why we do things. And I think hope is a huge motivator, but, but it's not a tangible thing. But this idea of a living hope, the idea of hope that lives. Well, this was always really interesting to me in my faith walk, in my journey to go from, from my parents' religion that was, that was taught to me at the foot of a singing songbook, for those of you that remember Salty, 
But from a faith that was taught to me by my parents, it was my parents' faith that was on me that eventually became my own faith that I learned to love and grow in. This idea of living hope was something that really spoke to me. This phrase is found in, in 1 Peter 1. And that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time today. And the song that we sang opens with these words, How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. How often do we feel that there is a chasm in front of us? How often do we feel that the next mountain is just that little bit too high? How often do we turn in desperation? I don't know about you, but but sometimes I feel like I'm running on a hope deficit, if you will. Does that, does, that, does that sound, does that make sense? A hope deficit? Financial pressure, family dramas, failing health. Do you ever sit there and ask yourself, oh, when will things get better? My wife and I have, a, have an annual tradition on the 1st of January at New Year's. We turn to each other and say, this year will be better, Surely. <laughs> I think the way we imagine our future and the way we think about our future and what's to come is is so crucial. It reveals whether or not we have hope and it reveals where our hope lies. So is my hope in this job that that I'm looking to get, is my hope found in, in the degree that I hope to one day have? Is my hope found in this new house that I'm about to buy? Is it found in my jet ski? Where is my hope found? See, because there's this great phrase that my grandfather taught me, and I don't know where he stole it from, but misplaced hope, misplaced hope, is not hope at all. In 1 Peter, we find that, that hope that endures through every trial, and we find a hope that can't be taken away. It's a hope that, that lies at the very center of Christian faith and life, a hope that transforms the way we live today. I'm going to turn to it in just a moment, but just to give you a really brief context, Peter writes this letter to a group of Christians in what is is today modern-day Turkey. And Peter was one of the primary founding leaders of the early church, and he was writing to these churches that were suffering, and there there was personal suffering in these churches. There was family suffering. They were struggling at the hands of a corrupt government at the time. And then added to all of those normal pressures, they were struggling because of their faith as well. There was a persecution on them. And so Peter wrote to them a very practical book about how to be Christians in an environment that is constantly changing where the goalposts feel like they're moving all the time. I don't know, does that sound familiar at all? The goalposts just seem to move constantly. Where what we thought was was the accepted norm has changed. See, Peter knows that all the TED Talks, the how-to guides, the TikTok reels and the dummies guides won't help people sort out life if they don't have hope. A future to anticipate that gives them a sense of purpose. Without that, instructions fall on deaf ears. And you know, in the world that we live in, when you talk to your neighbours, your family, your friends, those around you, when you talk to your work colleagues, I dare say that it's not that different today. A life without hope brings us to a place of depression, brings us to a place of anxiety, it brings us to a place where we struggle so much. 
And I think without hope, instruction on, on how to live and instruction on the future and stuff just falls on, on deaf ears. We feel financial, health and family pressures today. And I think to make it through some of those pressures, we, we need to have a hope. A hope that is foundational, hope we can rely on. So where, where do we put our hope then? You ask questions, Jairo, but provide no answers. Ha ha. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 says these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. To try and summarize that statement, if I may, in essence of those, those, those passages, those three verses, it says, our hope is in a future inheritance founded on God's mercy, secured by Christ's resurrection, and kept by God's power. So we're going to unpack and have a quick look at that today. Before we do, though, can I pray? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that we can come before you today. Lord, I thank you we can open your word and see uh, words of Scripture, Lord, that are so real and so very true. Words of Scripture we can rely on, that we can pull apart, that we can look at, that we can hold in our hearts. Lord, I thank you for Scripture that has inspired so many of the songs that we sing, Lord, as we, as we speak those words out in song form. So God, I thank you as we come this morning, as we open your word, may we have open hearts and minds to hear and receive what you would say to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage we just read, Peter says that there is something coming that is really good. He says there is a future inheritance awaiting for us. He says at the end of everything that happens in this life, ahead of the trials, the suffering, the difficulty of a broken world, there is an inheritance waiting for us. And, and the word inheritance is very, very specific, very intentional. Because the thing about a, an inheritance is that I can't earn an inheritance. I mean, don't get me wrong, I can annoy my father and not get one. But you, but you can't go out and buy an inheritance off the shelf. An inheritance is something that somebody else has earned, somebody else has nurtured and protected, something that somebody else has kept, and then they choose to give that thing to you. Unfortunately, usually at their passing. But it's something that I can't just go out and get. It is a gift that has to come. Somebody else earns it, protects it, and passes it on. And the great hope, and this is the thing, the great hope of everybody that believes in trust in Jesus is that we have an inheritance coming from God, something that Jesus has earned, that he is saving and keeping in heaven one day to give to us. I mean... If we take the pressures of this world and we take everything in this world and we take all the promises that we see in Scripture, the idea that at the end of all this there is something good, that there is something great, that there is something tangible that we can, that we can hold on to and know is real is a hope that so many of us live for. It's a hope that we strive for. 
It's a hope that at the end of all this, there is something, something great. What better hope is there than an eternal future with God? And the Bible says it's an imperishable inheritance. And I love that word. When we, when we, when we go through, there is inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, it says in verse 4. And I like that. Because if nothing else, the last three years in this world, they have taught us that nothing, nothing in this world is permanent. I mean, I was, I was thinking it through, and I remember the moment two years ago when, when the simple handshake, emotion that we extend a hand, and it's an act of warmth, an act of friendship, an act of hospitality, when that act was being portrayed as a, as a possible aggressive, horrible act in the height of COVID. When something, something as fundamental to our culture as shaking hands with someone was, was potentially an aggressive act. When something like that gets taken away, in those years we saw the stock market plummet, we saw people lose a lot of wealth. We saw housing values drop and then climb astronomically and then start to drop again. We weren't able to talk to friends. We weren't able to talk to family. Likewise, just recently for the people in the Ukraine, their world shattered almost overnight. My dad's an accountant. He says only two things in this world that are true, death and taxes. Second one, apparently, is still negotiable. (laughs) We live in a world where nothing in this world and of this world is finite. Everything can pass. Everything can be taken. So the great hope of everyone that trusts in God is an inheritance that cannot fade, that cannot spoil, that cannot be taken, that cannot crumble. This is a good thing. This is a hope worth having and a hope worth holding on to. What better hope that one day when it's all said and done, there is an eternal future with God and an imperishable inheritance. Our hope can't be placed in anything in this world as in this world everything can be taken from us and misplaced hope, as my granddad said, is no hope at all. True and lasting hope and help is in God and God alone. An inheritance prepared by him that can never be destroyed, never be taken. The second thing about our hope that Peter talks about is that our hope is founded on God's mercy. It says in in verse 3, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. I go back to the song that we sang at, at communion. The second verse begins with these words. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to where my sin and bear my shame. This idea of of a saviour, of Jesus coming to earth. Not just the idea of giving up everything of heaven and coming to earth to be born in human form. That in itself is a huge sacrifice to go through the trials and the struggles that you and I face. But then the idea of of wearing 
my shame, wearing my sin. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you. Maybe you are much better people than I am. But there are corners of my heart that I don't want people to know about. There are things in my history, there are things in, in the back corners of my brain, in my thought life that I really don't want displayed for everybody to see. There are things in my life I'm not proud of. Yet Jesus, someone I didn't know, someone who was born years and years before me, came down to take that sin that hides in the dark corners of my heart and to wear the shame of the things that I have done. When we talk about grace, this is what we talk about. See, here's the thing. We can have hope and hope in God because God is merciful. And I think nobody knew that better than the author of this passage, Peter. See, before Jesus was betrayed, he tells the disciples, he sits them down before he went to the cross and he says, here's the thing, guys, one of you is going to betray me. And when that happens, the rest of you are all going to desert me. In fact, he says that in Mark 14. And there's that, this beautiful account that was recorded in Mark. And, and Peter says to Jesus, he says in verse 29, uh, Lord, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. We fast forward a few hours in the story and we pick it up in, in Luke 22. It says, so they arrested him, Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, in verse 58, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I am not, Peter replied. In verse 59, an hour later, somebody else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean as well. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even knew me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. You know what I love about this story is that not long after that happens, not long after Jesus makes eye contact with Peter and Peter knows what he's done and leaves, not long after that, Jesus goes to the cross and takes the sin of Peter and the rest of the world and in an act of amazing grace and love goes to the cross for him. But even better, and this is the best part, is that two days later, Jesus rose again for Peter's justification. Peter knew what it was like to deny Jesus. He knew what it was like to carry guilt and shame of having done so. He knew what it was like to have a merciful God look him in the eye and extend grace. I can't help but think that this is what Peter was remembering when 30 years later he pens this book of 1 Peter and writes these words, In his great mercy. 
we have been born into a living hope. You know, maybe you didn't deny Jesus three times in the courtyard as a rooster crowed in the background. But when I think of, of a life that I've lived and I think of the grace that's been extended to me, I can't help but be a little bit excited by those words in his great mercy. Here's the reality. We cannot outsin God's grace. Not a challenge, by the way. Not a challenge. <laughs> there were consequences to doing that. But we cannot outsin God's grace. The only thing that makes us ineligible of God's grace is simply outright rejection of God's grace. And the second verse of the song we just sang finishes with these words. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I am yours forever. And the refrain at the end of each tag, Jesus Christ, my living hope. We have hope in a future inheritance. We have a hope founded on the mercy of God and we have a hope secured through Christ's resurrection. Peter says our living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But why does Peter call it a living hope? Why not just hope? Because I think, well, I know it's possible for us to put our hope in things that are not living, in things that are not alive, in things that are essentially dead, or even worse, abstract concepts that don't actually exist. Our hope is placed in our finances, our hope is placed in our superannuation, our hope is placed in, in, in the hope that... See, my parents... Sorry, just two seconds. My parents thought to themselves, I know, we're having a kid. Let's call him Jaira, which means the Lord is my provider. My dad thought, we'll call him Jaira, he'll look after us in our old age. And then I went into ministry. <laughs> no, not true. <laughs> I love my parents. <laughs> See, this is what happens when I move away from my notes. But, but our hope can be placed sometimes in things that we cannot, cannot guarantee, that we cannot hold to, that are not always tangible. And as I said before, if the last few years have taught us anything, it's that everything in this world is insecure. Health, relationships, job markets, whatever rhythm of life we depend on can be taken from us so very quickly. And here's the thing, it will give you massive whiplash when it happens. And it will be scary and disorientating. But if it teaches us to stop putting our hope on transient things, well, that, that can set us free. Misplaced hope is not hope at all. Misplaced hope is fooling ourselves that we can find hope where it doesn't exist. And the answer to that isn't hopelessness. The right response to that is to then take our hope and place it where it belongs. To take a hope that is built on things that will fade, that will dodge you, that will leave us. And take that hope and put it on a foundation that is firm, solid, that holds. You know, if ever there was a time of hopelessness, it was that Saturday before Easter, that day when the Son of God was buried and dead in a tomb. But, but here's that thing. In that, in that moment, in that moment where breath filled his lungs, 
when breath filled the lungs of the resurrected body of Christ, everything changed. The third verse highlights that moment. We sing those powerful words. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of silence, the roaring lion declared, The grave has no claim on me. For Jesus, yours. Yours is the victory. If Christ is risen and our hope is in him, our hope can never be taken. If even death cannot conquer Jesus, then death cannot conquer our hope. Christian hope is ever living because Christ is ever living. So let me ask you, how, how secure is your hope today? You know, we can overcome so much through technology. The ways that we create space to do things with tech is amazing. The medical marvels that we can do through technology are phenomenal. The, the simple fact that, that yesterday I was playing a board game with a guy in the United States over my computer was insane to me when I thought about it. But yet nobody has ever truly come back from the dead except Christ. Death is a reality that one day we will have to face. The only question that awaits you and I on the other side is where our ultimate hope is placed. And if your ultimate hope is on anything but Christ, please talk to one of us about what that means. Talk to us about what it means to place hope in a foundation there's a living hope. I want to have that conversation. Jeff, Laura, I want to have that conversation with you. We all do. We have a hope of a future inheritance. We have a hope founded in the mercy of God. We have a hope secured through the resurrection of Christ. You know, the final thing that we sing in this song, that chorus is a response of people who have faith and have their hope planted in God. That chorus is a refrain that we sing out, not in a place of recording history, but in a place of pure joy. The refrain is a song for the people of God to sing together. Those words on that very last slide say, Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There is salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. We praise the one who has set me free because death has lost its grip. Those chains that would bind us, that hold us, that keep us, they're broken. It doesn't mean that everything will be perfect, everything will be easy. What it means is that we have a living hope in one who is greater than those things that would come against us. I'm going to finish in a moment. We're going to sing that song again. But before we do, let me just take you back so that piece of scripture in 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed 
in the last time. Let me pray. Let me encourage you. If, if something is stirred in you and you feel a need to talk, we're going to spend some time after the service. There is an opportunity to come and, and have someone pray with you. Don't, don't ignore that, that, that prompting in your heart. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you're our Lord and King. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for that amazing grace that is found. God, we thank you that not only did you go to the cross, but Lord, your resurrection made our justification possible. Because of that, we know that we can have an inheritance found in you. Because of that, we know that we have a faith that is not misplaced. A hope that is founded on something solid, something real. And so God, as a church, as we come together and sing this song one more time, Lord, I pray that as it, as it echoes what our heart is trying to say, as we sing passages of Scripture come to life, Lord, as the gospel message is condensed into three verses in a chorus, God, may we continue to be a people that seek your love, seek your joy, and seek your promise, and seek your truth. Lord, we thank you for this. In Jesus' precious name, amen.